God, we believe in your Holy Spirit, and we believe that we can only understand, see, and even then obey and be changed by your word if your Holy Spirit's involved, that it's not, a intellectual, it's not purely an intellectual activity. It's not just an academic exercise, and it's not, uh, it's not simply involving our human reason, but it involves your Holy Spirit with our intellect, with our reason, but also with our will. We want to be people who follow you and are changed by you. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start with the quote just from the passage we're going to look at this week. Here's the quote for the This is the disciples, these guys over here, talking to Jesus after something he had just said. Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? All right, Pharisees over here, they were the religious elite. They were the image management people. They thought they were the end all of end all of religious people. And so and I'll tell you exactly what Jesus said, but Jesus had just said something to them and the disciples, these guys, walk over to Jesus and said, do you realize you just offended them? So here's what happened. So just leave that slide up there. It says some Pharisees and teachers of religious law, this is Matthew 15, now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat, because what well, was a tradition then? Tradition is not necessarily a biblical issue. It's a tradition. Is every time before they would eat, they'd go through this hand washing. And it wasn't just washing their hands to make sure they were clean before they ate. It was a, it was a sign to other people. Some people would call it today virtue signaling. Look, look, how, look how holy I am. I'm doing this certain kind of religious thing of washing my hands, showing that I'm a clean person. And Jesus saw it for what it was, which was an external image-driven farce. And so Jesus didn't wash his hands so ceremonially in that religious way, and neither did they. So they're like, the, the Pharisees are bothering, like, they're not, why are, your, why are your disciples, why are those guys ignoring our traditions? They're not being good religious people. And then Jesus says to them, well, so why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? He's basically saying, so you, and then he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you when he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. All right, so you can see already where that's kind of offensive. He's calling them hypocrites. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. That's when the disciples came to him and said, do you realize you just offended the Pharisees by what you said? And Jesus replies this way. Every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. That's even double offense. Okay, you just offended them. And he's basically saying to the disciples, ignore them. Ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into the ditch. So Jesus tells this, talks about the washing of hands, and he calls them blind guides. He calls them hypocrites, and they're offended. All right? All right? So go to the next slide here, and then go to the next one. All right? Here are four different emojis. That could, I'm going to ask you, which one, I'm in the mode, you know, if the, if the Pharisees had cell phones, all right, which one of these do you think most 
shows the emotion of offense. Like if Jesus said to them, you hypocrites, which if you were a Pharisee and you had a cell phone, which, what would you send your Pharisee friends about what Jesus just said that offended you? All right. Choose one and we're going to vote. All right. Which, uh, who thinks A is the primary emoji of offense? All right, we have a few A people, all right? How about B? Any B people? Oh, that's actually, isn't that after some famous painting? Yeah, yeah, okay, anyway. So, how about C? How about C? That's the, that's the emoji you would send. How about D? All right, I, I don't know which one's right. I don't know which one these guys would have sent to each other. But offense, and we understand, when you're offended, it's a combination of shock, anger, and to some degree, you emotionally distance yourself from that person. I mean, when you think of somebody, something said to you, maybe recently or in the past, and you would say, that, that offended me. I mean, you're not happy, um, and you're a little bit surprised, all right? So whichever one of these emojis is emo- your emoji of choice for, a, for, your, uh, for you, stick it in your head right now, because we're going to be talking about this whole concept of of Jesus offending people, because he did it a lot. He didn't offend them out of his own. He wasn't a jerk. I mean, we all know people in our lives that are, you know, they're offensive because they just love to do that. It's all about them, all right? So I've been doing a series, go to the next slide, doing a series called Following Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. And again, Matthew wrote it. Matthew was a total non-follower of Jesus, pagan, he was a Jew, but he was non-religious. He worked for the Roman government. He was hated, and then he becomes a convert, an un- unlikely convert, following Jesus. And he spends his whole book, the Gospel of Matthew, helping people understand there's no one like this guy, Jesus. I mean, not only does he, he heals people, his teaching, the way he had compassion on people, but he had, he had incredible courage to go after the religiosity of the culture of that day, and every culture has religiosity, we have religiosity, where we try, it's more about image, it's more about looking good than it is about having a good heart, all right? So when we, when Jesus offends the Pharisees, I mean, Jesus can offend us in the same way, and he needs to at times, all right? So, so for Matthew 15, go to the next slide, I just read this part, Matthew 15, 1 to 20, where Jesus, where the Pharisees, the disciples said, do you? you know you just offended them? And Jesus basically says, yeah, ignore them. They're hypocrites. All right, so go to the next one. So how about this word offended, all right? Do you realize you just offended the Pharisees? The Greek word, and I don't, don't always put Greek words up here, but it, it's helpful because you'll understand the English connection to this. The Greek word is scandalon, all right? And what's the English word comes from that, of course? Scandal. Do you realize you just scandalized the Pharisees by what you said? You just, whatever emoji you want to choose. Do you realize you just scandalized by what you said? And the idea is you offended them. Uh, You made them stumble. And I'll talk more about that in a second. But anytime... Uh, it's, you're uh, being offended, and this and the scandal on is any time when something happens that doesn't meet the expectations of how you think you should be treated. Any time how you are treated doesn't meet your expectations of how you should be treated, and it's usually in a negative way. Right, that's a scandal on. It's a scandal. It's you have a preconception of how 
this person or this situation ought to treat you, and they don't treat you that way. They treat you the opposite way, and it's hurtful. It's a scandal to you. It's a scandal on. All right, so it's, you know, when you take offense. So I'm going to just kind of trace through some things in the Bible, and a lot, a lot of them in Matthew, where this word keeps showing up because, yeah, Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus teaches, but he also offends. He offends them, but there's some situations, the pastor will look at where he offends them. And the reality is he can offend us. And how we respond to that offense is huge, right? So, it's, so actually, uh, go to the next slide now. So all these next slides, the word I have in yellow is the, is, comes from that Greek word scandalon, but it's translated different ways, all right? And I'm just going to give you a sense of how that how that word is used because some people often people will say Jesus is a scandal on because it happens so many times, right? Isaiah 8, this is in the Old Testament, predicting about Jesus says he is a stone that makes people stumble and a rocks that makes them fall. So the scandal on, and I have a stone up here, it's kind of like if there's a stone on a path and you trip over it, all right? I've walked with Kathy some, some recently on some trails. I usually trip over roots. But, you know, you can tr- it, it, it's something that you don't expect, and all of a sudden you're like, boom, all right? Um, I fell down recently, but I tripped over a sidewalk crack, but that's kind of pitiful. I know that. But it, I didn't see it. I didn't expect it. And then something kind of dissonant happens, right? I fell down, all right? So he, the, they're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be somebody that makes people stumble. It, it, I was expecting one thing, and then something else happens, all right? That's Isaiah chapter 8. Next one. Now we go into Matthew. This is where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends his followers to go ask Jesus, are you the one? Are, are you the Messiah? Because John's in prison. It's, it's not what he expected, all right? That's kind of a part of being, being a faith. It's not what he expected, of Jesus. He thought Jesus was going to be clearing out and doing this grand thing, and John's in prison. He eventually gets beheaded. And then Jesus praises John, and he says, God blesses those who do not fall away, who are not scandalized because of me. Because even though John may have stumbled on his expectation, I thought Jesus was going to be this way, but now he's this way, he didn't, he didn't fall. All right? Because sometimes Jesus will do things in our lives that isn't what we expected, or it's not, our, it's not our preconception of Jesus. But Jesus is praising John. He says, God blesses those who do not stumble, who aren't, don't, who aren't scandalized because of me. All right, next one. This is Matthew chapter 13. It's where Jesus is talking about the parable of the, of the, the man who planted seeds, but he talks about people who uh, fall away from following Jesus as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word, all right? They are scandalized as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. They stumble because that's not what they thought Christianity was supposed to be, all right? They are scandalized by that. They stumble and they fall. And in this situation, Jesus is talking to people that they don't get back up because they were expecting following Jesus to be like this grand parade where everything goes your way. It's kind of that, I've mentioned this before, there's this mentality we all have that it's like, well, if I, if I do good and I love God, 
then all should be well in my life. All right? it, it's not the gospel, but that's how we often think. If I do good and I love God, then all should be well. Well, the gospels are full of people who did good and loved God and all did not go well. I mean, they went well for their souls, but not well for their lives. So Jesus is saying, you know, people get scandalized when problems come or they get persecuted. They strip and fall. All right, next one. This is in Matthew chapter 16. This is actually when Jesus uses the word. He was telling the disciples, um, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be killed. And the disciples had no category for that, or they didn't want to believe it, because that's not what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be. So at first, they were offended, that word, by his... uh, that's not going to happen to you. Peter actually says to Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. That will never happen to you. And then Jesus responds using the word scandalon, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap. You are a scandalon to me. That's where Jesus is saying, no, Peter, don't, that, that, don't, don't make me, don't trap me into thinking that God has a different plan for me because Jesus knew his plan was death and resurrection. So the scandal on is a stumbling stone. It's a dangerous trap that we can fall over. Next one. This is toward the end of Matthew. Jesus says to the disciples, to them, so yeah, Jesus offends religious people. He always will. He always does. But now he's talking about the disciples, us, followers of Jesus. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will be scandalized. They'll turn away from me. They trip. They fall on the stumbling stone because they weren't expecting persecution and being hated. They weren't expecting being killed. All right, turning away. Next one. Another slide? Yeah, here we go. This is in John now. So I'm, I'm, I've just got out of Matthew, but Jesus used, it talks a lot about then Matthew. But this is after Jesus uh, was just talking to his disciples about kind of the spiritual nature of who he was. And, and he used phrases like, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the sense wasn't this kind of goriness of it. It was just he was helping them realize, I am not just a human leader that's going to lead you to victory. There's a spiritual power to who I am. And it's going to change your hearts. The Holy Spirit's going to change you. It's going to be, it's going to be different than what you expected. Because they were expecting easy life. Because Jesus was going to clear the way for them. But he's saying, no, no, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And it's going to change you from the inside out. And then he says, to, and, and, then he's, and the disciples were complaining. They're like, we don't understand it. We don't like what he's saying. And right before this, it said many of the disciples of the large group walked away like this is this is too hard for us we were wanting we were wanting you know somebody to clear the way for us we want a good life we want life to be good for us right so jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining so he said to them say that whole sentence with me all right here we go one two three does this offend you does this scandalize you he's saying that to them now are you offended by the fact that i'm telling you that your expectations of what I'm supposed to do in your life are not the way I'm going to do it? Because they were expecting earthly kingdom, Jesus was going to do things, their life was going to be, you know, if I do good and I love Jesus, I'm going to have a good life, and 
Some of the disciples even wanted right hand and left hand by the throne. They wanted the glory of being with Jesus. And he says, does this offend you? And they respond in kind of ways. But again, they, they tripped. They may have stumbled. They didn't fall because they kept following him. It's that same sense of scandal on. A couple more. This is in 1 Corinthians. This is now Paul writing to Christians in Corinth. And he says, so when we preach Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended by it. They're scandalized by it. Because the Jewish religion at that time was all kind of this. It was all about right behavior, obeying things. And if you obey things and look good, then you're good with God. And Jesus constantly was telling the disciples, it's not about looking good. It's about your hearts. But Paul said it's, it's, it's offensive. It's offensive to religious people. So I'm not talking about Jewish people now. You know religious people in your life that they don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge they need a crucified Savior. Because it's offensive. Because it means, I'm, it means I need something. So it's not just, it's not just uh, Jewish people. I... I uh, I had a chance. Um, I had a chance a few years ago to get to know some graduate students that were Mormons, and um, they were in a class I was teaching at IU, and they wanted to get together. And so, when I was talking to them one time, and I asked them if I could look at one of their hymnals, because I was just kind of curious. And it's not because I wanted to sing with them; I just was curious. When I was looking, they have a lot of hymns that you and I, if you grew up in the church, a lot of similar hymns. And I was like, it's okay. They changed some words on things because Mormon theology, it, 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 they say something completely different about Jesus than what the Bible says. All right, I'll just say that. So I'm looking through the hymns, and I notice there's a whole section of hymns. Again, I grew up with hymn books that are missing. And there's, there's these hymns, um, you know, like, All to Jesus I Surrender, or Just As I Am with one, Without One Plea, or, um, you know, songs of what I would call songs of contrition. Songs of, I need Jesus because I'm a broken human being. That whole section of the hymn book that I grew up with was gone from the Mormon hymn book. All right? Because the more, in the Mormon kind of thinking, and again, I'm just talking about religion in general, but this is how it's fleshed out of Mormonism, is uh, the Mormons think we're all gods. We're just like Jesus. We just need to, you know, follow what he's doing, but we're not broken. So they don't need contrition. It's an offense to them. They don't want to, they don't want to, they don't need, they don't need Jesus as a savior. They might need him as a role model. They don't need him as a savior. Same thing. So this sense of religious people are offended. They're offended by this, by the cross. I had one uh, pastor years ago tell me he didn't like to talk about the cross. It was way too bloody and there was too much offense to it. That's what he said because he didn't, he didn't want to bow. You know, you know, if you, we want, people want Jesus as a nice role model, but if he's a savior, that, that, that acknowledges that I'm broken and I need him. All right? so, he's, so Paul says the Jews are offended and the Gentiles, they just think it's nonsense. It makes no sense to them. They don't even care. They're not even trying to be religious. All right? The next one. Now this one is Paul again writing to the church in Rome. And again, same word, scandal on. And you'll notice here he's actually quoting from the book of Isaiah that we started off with. 
And he talks about Jesus being a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. But then he says, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So there's this, there's this sense of you either stumble when things get hard in your life, situations get hard, relationships get hard, uh, money gets hard, health gets hard, you're, whatever. You either stumble and you fall away or you stumble reorient your understanding of what Jesus is doing in your life and you trust him. There's really no other choices. You either stumble, fall away, or you stumble and you have to rewire your understanding of what Jesus is supposed to be doing in your life. Because you'll notice mostly all these passages about stumbling that Jesus talked about are about hardship, difficulty, people not liking you, persecuting you. So there are stumble and you can fall away. It's like it's not worth it. It's not, I, wanted, I wanted the American Jesus that gives me the American way of life. Or you can stumble, write yourself, trust what Jesus had to say, and you'll never be disgraced. All right? Example, when I was in seminary, and there, there's all kinds of examples you could use on this. For some reason, well, not for some reason, for an understandable reason, I started to really have a hard time with the concept of hell. So I'm just like, wow, that just seems so final and so harsh almost. I don't know. And, and I stumbled. I didn't. I, I stumbled. I was like, I, I don't know. But then... I had to back up and I thought, okay, Jesus talks about hell. He talks about eternal punishment in a way that he believes it. So I don't really understand it. I don't necessarily even like it. But I trust Jesus, so I'm going to trust his words on this issue. Because I had to stop, kind of reorient myself and say, okay, am I going to trust Jesus and keep following him. That's the theme of this whole book, follow Jesus. Am I going to trust him and keep following him or am I going, or am I going, or am I going to let this be my end? Because I'm going to stumble and fall here. I don't like it. I mean, I, I talked to somebody recently who was part of this church a few years ago and um, they said they're not really happy with how white evangelicals are dealing with political issues, racial issues, human sexuality issues. So therefore, um, they stumbled and not getting up, not following Jesus anymore. So there are going to be, and I'm not just talking about those political issues, I'm talking about just even big theological issues, but there may be times in your life, I know there have been in my life, where things just don't go the way you were hoping that Santa Claus, magical Jesus, was going to do for you. Well, I thought if he loved me, he would, I could have gotten that job, or I could have married that person, or I wouldn't be sick. So he's not doing according to my expectation. Which, I'm, if you follow Jesus even for a day, that will happen to you. Something will happen that isn't fitting your expectation of what you thought Jesus was going to do. But, but his promise is always, if we trust him, we won't be disgraced. His promise is always, if we trust him, he promises abundant life. He promises unworldly peace. He promises a kind of joy that makes no sense 
when your path is full of stumbling blocks, but you get up and you keep going. So, yeah, Jesus offends religious people. Yeah, Jesus offends even the disciples. And yeah, he offends us. And maybe right now there's some of us here this morning, you might say, yeah, I'm, if Jesus says, does this offend you, whatever's going on in your life, does this, does this not match my expectation of what Jesus was supposed to do, that you and I might say, yeah, this does offend me right now, Jesus. I, 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 I'm, I'm stumbling. It, it's, a, it's, it's not a deal breaker, but I don't know. What, it's okay. I'm just hoping that your resolve will be, no, I'm going to trust Jesus. I don't know why this is happening. I mean, people in this room have had cancer. People in this room have had other things not go right. I don't know why it's happening. I can either ditch Jesus because it's not working out the way I want it to work out, or I can choose to follow him, and I'm going to trust that his promises for my life are always true. He will fill my life with joy and peace. He'll fill my life with abundance. Not abundance maybe of financial bank accounts, but abundance of soul, which is something every one of us would, would just, we'd love to have that. So there will be people that stumble and fall. There will be times where you're going to hit a rock, and it may be a rock ten times this size, and it doesn't just make you stumble, it stops you in your tracks. It's a scandal onto you. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Because this is not what I thought Jesus was going to do. My, just before the service, my wife was showing me a passage from Revelation 12. Is that where it is? And it talks about, uh, do you have it? Can you read it out loud? Because I, was, I, was, I wasn't planning this, but she came up. And I, was, I tend to trust that my wife has something that maybe God wants me to say it, but I can't remember what she said. So can you read it out loud? This is in Revelation, so it's the end times. Loud. They loved not their lives even unto death. And my wife said she heard a podcast recently where the person said, that doesn't, you can't have a conference about that because nobody wants to go to that conference. Hey, come to a conference. We're going to teach you how to love not your life even if you have to die for it. It doesn't sell. What sells in the Christian world is Jesus is going to give you this and give you that and give you this and give you that. And yes, he does promise us peace and joy and abundance and even life eternal. But the idea that uh, how do I learn to love my life so much, not love my life to the point where I love Jesus more. And these are that passage I'm talking about people that were martyred and persecuted. So I'm sure they didn't think that's what they signed up for when they decided to follow Jesus. But again, we, we have this, uh, we have an, I have too, an American dream kind of Jesus. You know, I, I need to have, you know, 
houses, cars, insurance, health, all that stuff, bank account, and good retirement. That's what Jesus came to do for me. He never said that. He said he came to make you alive, awake, and free. And that may mean, what will mean, there's stumbling stones in the way for you. But those stumbling stones are never meant to harm you. They're, never, they're only meant to kind of correct inside of you your picture of Jesus so you can experience the kind of joy and peace and forgiveness and generosity that he wants to give you. He does that so you can get what he wants to give you. We've got it backwards. So he's a stone that makes them stumble, the rocks make them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Never be disgraced. Read that last line out loud with me. Here we go. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. All right, go to the next slide. I think the last one is my follow you. Next one. Well, we, I already asked that question. Follow me. So, so again, um, maybe you're in a stumbling time of life now. Maybe not. Maybe you've stumbled lately. Maybe not. But if you live a few more weeks or months or years on, as a follower of Jesus, you, you'll hit those stumbling points again where you have to stop and say, okay, do I trust Jesus or not? Do I trust him now or not? Do I trust him after that just happened in my life? Do I still trust Jesus is for me and he's for my goodness and he's for my joy, he's for my peace? Because you will have big stones, little stones, all kinds of things. And you always have to ask your question. You will be asking the question, am I still going to follow him? Is his way the way that really will lead me to the fullness of life that every human being on earth hungers for? And you have to answer that question. And I would encourage you by scripture and by the truth of scripture, yes, it will always lead you to life. So let's pray. So Jesus, um, I don't know, but I'm guessing even in a, in this group today, there are people who maybe are in a stumbling process or maybe they've already stumbled on something and they're just really understandably wrestling with you right now. Not understanding what you're doing. Not understanding what you're up to. And in that sense, there's some of us here this morning and we're offended by you. But we know that your offense is not out of just one to irritate us. You're, whenever you offend us, you offend us because you love us, because you want us to be full of life. So Jesus, for those, even this moment or this day or even this week that will be stumbling, I just pray, Jesus, that your spirit would make yourself known to them in a real way that will remind them that you love them deeply and you can be trusted. Not in a way that denies their pain or denies their struggle, but in a way that in the midst of the pain and struggle, we can say, no, I trust you, Jesus. And like the disciples said, where else do we turn? Who else do we go to? So, Jesus, I pray for that kind of strength for us. I pray for that kind of strength for those people in our families that we love. Many of here have kids, young kids. Some have adult kids. We pray for that same kind of strength of faith where they, they trust you. Uh, so we love you, Jesus. We trust you. Um, and we want, we want to follow you, Jesus, the real Jesus, not any, of our, our, um, not any of our perceptions or not any of our hopes and dreams, 
um, that don't coincide with who Scripture says you are because there's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one as powerful as you, as good as you, as strong as you, as merciful as you. There's no one who's for us like you are, no one. And uh, we love you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. So we have communion every Sunday, so Aaron's going to come on up uh, and lead us in a song. So when Jesus was the last supper of the disciples, who was celebrating the Passover, you know, God setting people free, the disciples had no idea what was going on at that supper. Looking back, of course, they understand. But he said to them, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Every time you eat this and drink this, you're going to proclaim me. You're going to proclaim forgiveness of sins, he even said. And, and this is the same kind of pastor where I'm sure they were all like, what do you mean this is your body? What do you mean? It's that sense of unless, unless we can come to Jesus and with the willingness for him to be inside of us, which is what we're doing. Put this, it's a symbol, it's a mystery inside of us. It's an acknowledgement of I need something in my being to change who I am, to be who I know God made me to be. We don't just need Jesus next to us. We don't just need him in front of us. We need him in us. So um, it's the only, only antidote for stumbling is Jesus in you and trusting him. All right. So let's... Uh, we're going to sing, and then uh, how we do it next is you just come on up. We don't dismiss by rows. You just come on up.